morning, good morning, good morning. New Hope Hilo Hawaii. Good to have you here this morning and uh, good to be here with you. What I love about coming to the Big Island is that I get to see God's hand at work. You know, we uh, landed yesterday and we heard about this, this lava flow that's uh, forming up at uh, Kalapana. Yeah, going down to Kalapana. So we went out there and said, it's just a short three-mile walk. A little longer than three-mile walk. But we walked out there and uh, it rained and it poured and the wind came out. But it allowed us to really see uh, lava that's already flowed. And you see this new flow of lava happening. But it's God's hand at work in today's world. But not only in the lava fields, but in your lives as well. I hear so much about New Hope Hilo Hawaii. Uh, I'm part of the Foursquare board, and we talk a lot about the good things that are happening here. I mean, your, your solar panels is like, like pioneering for the, the denomination, as well as the young leaders group that's forming up here. Great stuff. Pastor Sheldon is a wonderful young leader. You should be very honored that you have someone like him to shepherd your church. Very honored. Hey, before I get into the message this morning, uh, this is Independence Day weekend. We want to celebrate the independence we have, and I think the best way we can honor that is by honoring the veterans who serve us, who have served in the past or serve, currently serving. If you're a veteran here, would you stand? We want to honor you. Go ahead and stand up. We want to honor you for your service. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we so many times overlook the service they provide, and boy, do we need more of them in today's world. Amen? I also want to introduce my wife to you. Joy is here, sitting in the front row. She hates it, but honey, would you please stand, and they can honor you. Thank you. Yeah, everything that uh, she's taught me, uh, see if anything goes wrong, as Sheldon said, it's her fault. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Hey, you know, we're going to talk about going from pride to potential, from pride to potential. How many of you believe that God's best for your life is still yet ahead? You believe in that? You believe in that? You should believe in that. If you didn't raise your hand, that means you're giving up. Don't give up, folks. The best that God has for you is still yet ahead. That's called potential. It lies resident in your heart. You know what is the biggest barrier, the greatest barrier to God's potential in our lives? It's wrapped up in one word. It's called pride. Pride keeps us from living out the best life that God has for us. Especially in today's world, you're going to see more and more of this coming out. And you're hearing more and more of it, where people are living in a self-centered, self-focused, self-interested world. Anybody agree with me on that? You know where you find it the most? On social media. Posting pictures. Oh, how many guys like me? You know? Posting a comment. And saying whatever I want to say because I can say it because this is my social media. And if you don't like it, too bad. And we live in a world where everything is me. How come I cannot have? Parents, anybody agree with me on this? How come she has that and I can't? How come they're going to Disneyland we cannot? How come, how come I work so hard and I don't get the promotion but they do? How come he gets the corner office? How come he gets the parking reserve sign? And we live in a world where everything is about me. There's a book out, and I would highly recommend that you read it. It's called The Entitlement Cure. The Entitlement Cure. We're living in a world of entitlement today, where we all feel that we are entitled to something. It's mine. I deserve it. I, I should have that. Why, doesn't, why isn't life fair? Because I'm not getting what they have. We live in a world of entitlement. You know what that is? That's pride. It keeps us from living out the best potential that God has for us. And it doesn't matter 
How many days you live out, if you still have pride with you, if you still carry pride with you, you'll never go anywhere but down. It may seem like you're going up, but it's going to crash. You're going to crash. It's like these five passengers were on this airplane. This plane was, was going down fast. It was going to crash and burn. Five passengers, but only had four parachutes. So the first guy picks up the parachute, puts it on his back. He says, I'm Donald Trump, and I'm going to be the next president of the United States. And he jumps out the window. He jumps out the door. Second person picks up the next pack, puts it on her back. She goes, I'm Hillary Clinton. That's not going to happen. So she jumps out the window. Third person, Pastor Sheldon, he picks up the backpack. He says, I want to see this happen. Plus, I'm the best pastor in the world. Puts it on his back and shows out, jumps, out the, uh, jumps out the plane. Which left, one ba- parachute left, one backpack left, and, and me and another young boy. And I, sa- I turned to the 10-year-old boy and I say, you know, my mom always taught me, to be humble and to share. So, Sonny, you take the last parachute. He looks at me and says, oh, Pastor Alan, there's one more parachute left. That Pastor Sheldon, he took my school backpack and he jumped out the plane. <laughs> when, when all you're interested in is saving yourself, it's never going to get you anywhere. I'm talking about him because he's not here, so see. Yeah. <laughs> but pride keeps us from the best potential that God has for your life. That's why in 1 John, 1 John 2, The Lord says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, for me, the lust of the eyes, for me, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Pride is the worst thing that we can carry around, folks. It keeps us from the greatest potential that God has for us. So, how do we... How do we eliminate pride from our lives? You know, I I live life enough to learn some things about what's happening and and some of the things that we need to stay away from and some of the things that will help us to get uh, in line with what God has for us and the best potential He has. And I believe there's one thing that will shield us from the pride that we normally grab onto. And that one thing is to be grateful for the miracles that God performs in our lives. Having gratefulness for the miraculous God will keep us and will shield us from the pride that will normally accumulate in our lives. But you know what the problem is? We don't believe in miracles, do we? Do we? How many of you believe in a miracle? Believe in a miracle? How many of you have seen a miracle happen in this last week? Anybody? How many of you have seen a miracle happen today? Okay, Wives, turn to your husband and say, the fact that you're here is a miracle. (laughs) Miracles happen every day in our lives. You know why we don't see them? Because we don't have the eyes that God wants us to have. Here's a prayer that I've been trying to teach people to have, to say and to recite and to remember. God, give me the eyes to see what you're seeing. And give me the ears to hear what you want me to hear. See, if we have the eyes to see what God is seeing, we will see what he's doing. If we have the ears to hear what he wants us to hear, we will hear the things that will take us closer and closer to the miracles that he's performing every single day. But the problem is we have eyes to see what we want to see. Didn't you see that? No, I didn't see it. This friend of mine uh, is telling me about his leg. You know, my leg isn't healing, so where's the miracle? I don't see the miracle. What are you looking for? 
God, give me the eyes to see what you want me to see, what you're seeing. Give me the ears to hear what you want me to hear. Because many times we don't want to hear the things. We want to hear what we want to hear. Is that right? Parents, again, agree with me on that. Do you? You talk to your kids. Can you hear me? Do you hear me? Do you hear me? And then the friend tells, hey, Johnny, come. Oh, okay, I'll be right right there. I'll be right there. It's called selective hearing. We hear what we want to hear ourselves, and we shut ourselves off from the things that we should be hearing. You know, you really should go to counseling for your marriage. No, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Hey, you really need to improve on your job skills. No, 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 don't tell me what to do. I've been working at this company 20 years now. You don't tell me what to do. And we shut ourselves off from the thing that God wants us to hear. And we miss the miracle. And when we miss the miracle, you know what creeps up in our lives? Pride. And we miss the best that God has for us. That's why I believe God wants us to know that miracles are still happening today. And I see that unfolding in the Bible. We'll be in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, would you open it up? Matthew chapter 9. Because what I've been learning along the way is that Jesus teaches in different forms. And one of the ways that he teaches us something where he wants us to really grab onto a lesson is that he'll repeat himself. That's why you hear him stand on a mountain and he'll say, Verily, verily, I say unto you. He's saying it again and again. He said, Listen, 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 verily, verily. Or he'll say, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, What? Rejoice. I'm going to repeat myself. And we do that with our kids too, don't we? I told you once and I told you a thousand times. We repeat ourselves because we want people to catch the lesson. Well, Jesus wants us to learn that miracles happen, and they still happen today. I find that in the book of Matthew, where in one chapter of the entire Bible, he repeats miracles that take place. And if he's repeating a miracle, I think he wants us to learn and understand that we can still experience miracles today. And if we experience the miracles of God, be grateful for that. Because when you're grateful for the miraculous God, it shields us from the pride that takes place. Matthew chapter 9. Let's go to verse, uh, verse 2. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man. What kind of man? Paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, at that, some of the teachers of the law said, Well, who are you? What, what authority do you have to forgive sins? And Jesus says, You know, I'm going to make this real clear. Son, pick up your mat and walk out of here. And that man immediately jumped up and ran out. Now, other parts of the gospel say that there weren't just some men, there were four men. Okay, now, when I read the Bible, I try to get real visual with this. Can I encourage you when you read scriptures, don't just read it over some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying. Get into the word, jump into the Bible. Begin to see what's happening. Begin to feel what's going on around you. Begin to kind of smell the air, what's happening. Begin to very visually, maybe, maybe I get like this because I watch too many Korean dramas, I don't know. But, uh, but, but get into the Word. Get into the living Word of God. And so this is what I do when I read the Bible. I, I wonder, what was it like? When you read the Bible, put yourself in the place of the original audience. Who was he talking to? What was going on at the time? All right. So in some other sections of the gospel, he said there were four men. And they came upon their, what kind of man was he? Paralyzed man. 
Now, now I, I don't know what it's like to be paralyzed, but all I know is this, uh, that you can't move. How long was he paralyzed? We don't know. But he needed help. And his four friends heard about this man named Jesus. So as, as I'm jumping into the story, I can almost I'm kind of hear the conversation going on here. Oh, man. I have a friend needs some help. Well, how, how are we going to help? This is a guy. You heard about that guy? Jesus, you read in the paper the other day? Jesus, he was healing over here, and then CNN picked up on it. He was healing over there. He's in town. He's in town. Well, what do you want us to do? Well, I don't know, you know. You know, Johnny was he's been lying here for so long. We got to get him to Jesus. How are we going to get him to Jesus? Uh, I don't know, but maybe we should carry him. And some, play, some gospels say there was a mat. Some gospels say there was a stretcher. Well, let's just say there was a mat. He's lying on a mat. Well, how are we going to carry him down there? Well, we've got to pick him up. Pick him up and carry him. You see the house? You see the people? Choke people down there. They're all inside the house. Because Jesus is inside. He's, he's doing some healings, I think. Okay, well, you pick up one corner. Kimo, you pick up the other corner. Okay, let's go. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, okay, let's go. And they started walking. You ever carried a man who was... You ever carried dead weight... You know, I, when we were at, um, our, our church was at Aloha Tower, and Hawaii Pacific University, HPU, moved in. They said to us, well, we can't have a church on campus. I say, well, you know, that's discrimination. I'm not going to fight it, whatever. I said, you know, let's turn this into a party. So we made a, a, an Aloha Luau at the Aloha Tower. And uh, I said to the, my, my leaders, I said, you know, I want to teach these young guys how to do the Kalua pig the old-fashioned way. I'm not going to go down to the store and buy it. We're going to make a Kalua pig in the imu. So I called my son, Brandon. He's about 34, 35 now. I said, Brandon, get some of your young friends together. I'm going to teach you how to make Kalua pig. So they came up, you know, dug the hole, put the pig in, 600 pounds of pig, put him in the emu, covered it up. Next morning, I called him up. I said, Brandon, I need help. He goes, what kind of help you need now? I said, I need help to take the pig out of the emu. He said, oh, well, how come? I said, how come? I got to get this pig ready. We got to take it down to the luau. He goes, oh, uh, I already made commitment. <laughs> commitment? Are you kidding me? So he left me and this other guy. He was 61 years old. And I was, you know, I was old. <laughs> and so two of us had to take this 600 pounds of meat out of the emu. We had to shred all the pig, put them in pans. Now we got to carry it to the truck to take it down to the luau. Okay, you ready? Yeah, you got that in? I got that in. Ready? Let's pick it up. Ready? We had like six pans of this. Picked it up. Okay, let's go. Oh, okay, put it down, put it down, put it down. You know, we had to carry six pans of that pig. Carrying this man was not an easy task. All right, pick him up. You got that corner? You got that corner? Okay, ready? Let's go. Okay, let's go down. Come on, let's go. Carry, carry. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. No, no, excuse me. No, I got to get to the house. No, I, I know you're trying to wait too, but this guy, he need, please, can excuse me. Oh, come on, put him down, put him down. Hey, we got to get him before Jesus. Well, how are we going to get him before Jesus? He's in the house, and the house gets plenty of people. On the roof? What are you talking about on the roof? How are we going to get him up on the roof? St what is a step ladder? Tell me what is a step ladder. No, Lowe's is closed today. They don't open on Sunday. <laughs> okay, get some sticks. So they began to tie some sticks together. They made a ladder. They started pulling this paralyzed man up onto the roof. Okay, pull, pull. Pull, push, push, pull, push, one more, push, pull, pull, pull. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, you don't feel anything anyway. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Jesus is in here somewhere. So they're up on the roof. And they're, they're, they're listening. And they can hear underneath. 
See my Bible? Very vivid, yeah? I can hear underneath. Jesus is teaching. Verily, verily. Okay, he's right over here, right over here. I say, right over here, right here. Okay, so how are we going to get him in there? Dig a hole. What do you mean dig a hole? See, the roofs in those days, they weren't the, the totan, you know, aluminum kind of roof. It was made out of mud and straw stuffed in twigs and branches. That's how they made their roofs. Dig a hole. I guess so. Okay, start digging then. Oh, dig, dig, dig. Oh, my nails, I just had my nails done yesterday. And they, they start digging his hole. And I can imagine, I can just imagine Jesus in the house teaching the people. I'm telling, let me share you what the kingdom of God, and these rocks start falling on his head. <laughs> let me tell you what the kingdom of God, oh, verily I say it. And he hears, you can hear the commotion going on on the roof. And I can imagine Jesus telling the crowd, can we just hold on a second? And he looks up at the ceiling, and there's this pinhole sunlight starting to peer through. And people's fingernails are starting to dig bigger and bigger. This hole had to be at least six feet long and four feet wide. Because it said they laid the man before Jesus. They didn't slip him through a hole. They had to lay him before that. And I can imagine these men digging, digging, digging. And everybody's looking up. And all of a sudden their foreheads pop into the hole. Boop. There he is. And they began to lay the paralyzed man before Jesus. And Jesus said, Seeing whose faith? Seeing their faith. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. In fact, you know what? Stand up. You're healed. Get out of here. Listen. I think there are some people here today where you're like this paralyzed man. You're stuck. Your life isn't going anywhere. And there's nothing you can do about it, it seems. I don't know how long you've been in that position. You've been working in your job 20, 30 years. You've been married for maybe 15, 20, 25 years. And you're stuck. It's the same old, same old. And every day you would hope for something new, but nothing new happens. Maybe you've been in a relationship with this guy, and, and don't look at him, look at me. You've been in a relationship with this guy, and you're not going anywhere. It's, nothing's happening. And you need a miracle. But you can't seem to get there. Because you know what might be holding you back? Pride. Maybe you need four friends who love you so much and they love Jesus and they know what Jesus can do. They've experienced what Jesus can do and they love you so much that they would do anything possible. They would, they would do everything possible to even carry you to the feet of Jesus. But you got to allow that to happen. And you got to shed the proudy from your life. So these friends can take you where you need to be. So you can move from where you were. A life without any motion. Without any future. To a place where Jesus can offer you the best potential. Maybe you need some friends in your life. Maybe it's time to stop living life alone. 
You have small groups here, I know. And I know Pastor Sheldon's heart is to get you connected to some people. Because that's where the greatest potential is going to come out of your life. And you've got to shed that pride and get connected with some friends. Then the miracle will happen in your life that you never experienced before. Miracle number one. Miracle number two. Matthew 9, verse 20. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that, what did your Bible say? Moment. Right then and there, bang. He said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. What kind of faith was that? I want to know what kind of faith that is. I want to know what kind of faith that was. Where she reached out and she touched him and he said, your faith has healed you. Bang, and it happened. I don't know about you, but sometimes I pray for something and it doesn't get answered. Sometimes I pray for stuff and I, and I want Jesus to, to provide something and it doesn't happen. I want to know what kind of faith that was. Well, let me break it down again. Let me get, get, get more visual with this. Let me jump into the scriptures with you. Let's get into the word. Smell, smell what's going on here. Get a sense and feel of what's happening. This woman had been bleeding for how many? How many? How many years? How many? Not 12 days. Not 12 weeks. 12 what? Years. What is it like to be bleeding for 12 years? Now, women, only you guys can understand this part, okay? Us guys, chill out, because we will never comprehend what it means. But the cycles go on and goes on, you know, month by month by month. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years. Again, put yourself back in the day, the original audience. What was the medical sanitation conditions like? She could not go to Long's Drug. She could not go to uh, Walgreens. She could not get any kind of medical help. She went around. In fact, other gospels say she asked for doctors to help her. Nobody could help her. For 12 years, she's in this condition where it's just, it is not a pretty sight. And again, if you let your senses be a part of the story... If something had been bleeding for 12 years, it just doesn't smell good. And so where was her life lived? In the center of town? No, they pushed her out to the edge of society. She wasn't even welcome there. She couldn't even get back into a sense of friendship. She was living her life all alone, humiliated. Not only humiliation that was taken over her life, when you bleed physically, I don't care where you bleed from. When you bleed, you will lose energy. You're depleted. There's nothing left in you. And I can imagine her on the ground because she has no strength left in her body. And she's being maybe spat upon. I don't know. It's being... People talking about her. Oh, man, that smell. Don't hang around that lady. Hey, kids, come here. Don't be by her. What's the matter with you? And she's just being trounced. Not just physically was she drained. Emotionally, everything was being torn out from her. And she's smelling the dirt from the ground as people would walk by and the dust in her hair, the flies flying around. Can you see? Are you with me? Can you see all that's going on? 
And she hears about this man named Jesus. And she hears what he can do for her life. And she hears as, she's, as he's walking by. She has no more strength. As the Bible says, and she reached out. To me, it tells me she couldn't even stand up to walk up to him. She had only enough strength to reach out. And when she touched his garment, Jesus, aware of everything that's going around, turned and looked at her and said, your faith, your faith, what kind of faith was that? You know, sometimes, folks, we do a lot in life, don't we? We try, and nobody seems to be there to help us. We serve. We get breakfast ready in the morning. We get the kids together to go to school. We drop them off at school. We go to work. Oh, yeah, yeah. We listen to our boss. You should have done this. You should have done that. You know, deadline's coming up. Why can't you do that? We listen to all of this. Then we go home. We pick up our kids. We get the house ready. We got to clean house. We got to scrub the toilet. We got to get dinner ready for our husband. We got to get dinner ready for our kids. We got to help them with our homework. And we do all of this stuff. And by the end of the day, oh, I'm tired. I'm drained. And we do that again and again and again and again. Twelve years. And I'm tired. Well, you better pray. I've been praying. Well, you better pray some more. I've been praying. You better have faith. I do have faith. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. You know, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. So I've been waiting. But nothing's happening. You know what kind of faith this woman had? You know what I think the kind of faith she had? That Jesus recognized and he picked up right away? It was a faith that was willing to do something. To reach out and do something. And I'm not against praying and waiting on the Lord. But I think sometimes the Lord wants us to do something. If your marriage isn't going right, If you need some help with your job skills, pray, ask God for direction, and then do something. And when he sees that you're willing to take that step, as he called Peter out of the boat and Peter had to step, when you're willing to do something, God says, I see that kind of faith. I see that you believe. And she was healed that moment. You know what keeps us from doing something? What? What keeps us from doing something? Pride. Pride. You know, you, you, got, you got to attend this small group. No, I don't want to go to that small group. They tell me what to do. Hey, you know, you better go to the doctor. You got that little bump on your neck. You better. No, I don't want to go to the doctor. I've been, I've been Googling it. I've been going to WebMD. I get my own diagnosis. And pride keeps us from the best that God has for us. And we do nothing. Miracle number two. Miracle number three. Verse 27. Matthew 9, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. 
Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. According to your faith, according to your faith, what kind of faith was that? Two blind men came to Jesus. What did they ask him? Now, again, put yourself in the story. What was it like to be blind in those days? You know, they didn't have all the, 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 the canes that we have with the, uh, just the, the technology today uh, on the streets and training and trained aides to help people. They had nothing. Who were the blind men? They were those on the outstretches of society. They were pushed away. They were unwanted. They were living life alone. They hear that Jesus is in town. They come up to Jesus, and what did they ask him? What does your Bible say? Does it say, heal my eyes, Lord? Did they ask him that? Did they say, Lord, we want to see again? Did they say that? No, what did they say? Have mercy on us. And what did Jesus say? What was his response? I will heal you right away. No, what did he do? He asked him a question. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Why did he ask him that question? You know when you read your Bible, ask why. I got my Bible full of whys. Why did you ask that question, Jesus? It's so obvious. They're blind. They want to see. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Why did he ask him that question? You know why I think he asked him that question? He wanted them, he wanted them to tell him whether whatever he said was going to be okay. You know the kind of faith that Jesus saw in these blind men? Is that whatever you say, Lord, whatever you tell me, Lord, I'll accept it. You know what pride does for us, guys? You put too many laundry lists together. Jesus, son of David, would you make my husband a better man? Jesus, son of David, would you limit my wife to 30 words a day rather than 30,000? <laughs> Jesus, son of David, would you give me that pay raise that I've been waiting for for 10 years? You know, we put all of these laundry lists together and we pray to Jesus, we go to Jesus, but we're blind. We're blinded from seeing what he wants us to have in our lives. Because pride elevates ourselves above everything else. And instead of, instead of saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. In other words, Jesus, Son of David, whatever you're going to do, I'm good with that. We make demands on him. But Jesus says, Are you, do, do you believe that I'm willing to do this? you believe that I'm able to do this? Able to do what? To do whatever, Lord. Whatever. Whatever you say. Whatever you say, I'm okay with that. When he saw that kind of faith, they said, good. He says, good. That's the kind of faith I can work with. Because now they're going to have eyes to see what he wants them to see. They're going to develop ears to hear what he is saying to them. You think these blind men went away prideful? Oh, man, I got healed, man. Check it out. July 3rd, 2016, Jesus came and he healed my eyes. No, they're not going to walk away prideful. They're going to be so grateful for whatever he's done in their lives. Now, why did Jesus use a paralyzed man, 
Why did Jesus use a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years? Why did Jesus use two blind men and not just one? Because he wanted to show us that he is a God of the impossible. To heal a paralyzed man was impossible. To heal a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, impossible. To heal a blind man, instead of two, was impossible. He wanted us to see that he is a God of the miraculous. He is a God of the impossible. Say this word with me. Acute. Okay, not a long word. Say acute promylocytic leukemia. What word jumps out at you? Leukemia. What do you think of when you think of the word leukemia? Cancer. What else do you think of? Chemo treatment. Ball ahead. You think of death, don't you? But we planted a church called Metro Christian Church on January 22nd. 2012. It was me and my son Brandon. I brought him over. He was, uh, what, 31 at the time. I said, Brandon, help me to plant this church out. He goes, Dad, why? I said, because it's time that I invest in your life. He said, Dad, I don't want this to be like a Chinese restaurant. I said, yeah, it will be. You're going to wait tables. You're going to sweep floors. You're going to buy. So he came on. So January 22nd, 2012, we planted the church. December 7th, 2012, not even a full year of this church. I take my, my other son, uh, who we adopted from China, I take him in to uh, get some medication for He had a cough and kind of wheezing in a way. And um, take him into the doctors, and a, a doctor looks at me, his doctor looks at me, and he says, hey, you should get a blood test. I haven't seen him for like a couple of years because when we planted the church, I needed this like, top-notch insurance policy. I went through a full-on physical, and the physical came back. I'm a a 30-year-old man in a 50-year-old body. You know, everything was perfect. And so I said, oh, I'll take a blood test. So I went in. December 7th, his office calls me. December 7th became a day of infamy in a different sense for our family. Walked into the doctor's office. He said, I'm looking at your blood results, and you have acute promyelocytic leukemia. And that word leukemia just just exploded. My wife was there with me. I looked at the doctor. I said, how did this happen? He goes, we don't know. It's a rare form of leukemia. But we do know this, that many times they only catch this leukemia in an autopsy because it happens so fast. It eats away at all of your white blood cells. It eats away at all of your red blood cells. It eats away at all of your, your, uh, your platelets. And normally in a, in a cancer, if there is any normal graph, you'll start off slowly with a diagnosis, you go through some treatments, but with this APL, acute promyelocytic leukemia, you start off with a diagnosis, and the fatality rate shoots up 90 degrees. We don't know where you are on this graph. So you need to get into the hospital right away. They admitted me to, to emergency. Doctors came in, took another blood test. Everybody's wearing masks because I am highly susceptible now to anything that's out there. My white blood count is almost down to zero. Took another blood test. Doctor came back in. He said, we need to admit you for 30 days. I said, no, doc, you've got to wait a minute. This is December 7th. I have my Christmas services to get ready for. I got New Year's to get ready for. We're going to celebrate our first anniversary as a church in January. I need time to go talk to my leaders. He goes, no, no, you don't understand. 
Yesterday, we took your blood count and your platelets, which stops the bleeding if you get a cut. Your platelets, normally it's about 400, was down to 61. Today, we took another blood test. You're down to 51. If I let you go home, your organs can begin to internally hemorrhage on its own. We need to keep you here tonight and begin treatment immediately. I went in. I was admitted. They took a biopsy of my bone marrow. The way they do that is they stick a needle into my, my hip bone. I'm lying flat on my face. Folks, if you've, never, or, uh, if you've never memorized scripture, do it because you'll never know when you're going to need it. They stuck a needle in my, my hip bone, and when that needle hit the bone, to get it into the bone marrow, the doctor has to physically hit it like this. I am reciting every scripture I know into the pillow. And I could fear the bone cracking. And I remember saying to the, to the Lord, I said, now I know what it feels like to have the nails punctured into the palms of your hand where the bones are cracking. They took a biopsy of my bone marrow. They found out that I was 95% infected with leukemia. Doctor said, if you had waited two weeks, you would have been done. People began to pray. People not only on Oahu. Maybe some of you over here heard about it. I don't know. You started praying. People from California started praying. I got an email from pastors in eastern Russia. Pastor, we heard about what happened to you. We're praying for you. And because people prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and I went to treatment. And that chemo treatment is not something that I would recommend for anybody to have. But people prayed and prayed and prayed. And six weeks later, they took another biopsy of my bone marrow. Doctor came back. He says, it's gone. Everything's gone. There's nothing there. I said, so you mean I'm in remission? He goes, no, you're not in remission. You're healed. So when do I come back and see you again? You don't have to come back and see me anymore. You're healed. How did that happen? Faith of friends who loved me so much, they carried me before the feet of Jesus. You know, doctor said, if you had waited two weeks, some people go, I don't trust your, your diagnosis. Let me go get a second opinion. He said, if you had gone and get a second opinion, you would have been done. It was not only faith of friends, it was a faith that was willing to take action to do something about it. That I needed to do something about it. There was a point when I was in the hospital, everything just went black. I was getting so discouraged. Because although you're a pastor, you know, you intellectually think things through, the enemy will start to attack. You know where his best battlefield is? Your mind. And the enemy began to, I, I learned something about the enemy that day. I, I heard this said about the enemy some time ago, and I believe it to be true after my experience in the hospital. The enemy will always overplay his hand. He thinks he's doing something to get at you, but he'll overplay his hand. And this is how he did it in my life. So I'm going through that, that period where I'm just, just feeling just yuck. I even wanted the rooms dark. I didn't want any light in my room. And my wife says, normally you're reading your Bible. You didn't even want to read your Bible. I hadn't eaten for two weeks. I just didn't want to eat. I felt just sicker than sick. And one of the nurses came in one day, and she said, you want me to call like a chaplain or something? She saw something was not right. My wife came in one day. She could smell, literally, she could smell the room was not smelling good. 
So she called two pastors to come. She called another two. They were on, on neighbor islands. They got them by phone. They came in. They worshiped. They prayed. They stood up and they left. And my wife says, are you better? I says, no, no I, just, I just don't want it. I don't want anything to do with anything. And the enemy began to ask me questions. This is what I found out about the enemy. He will ask you questions that seems to make sense. He did it with Jesus. If you're the son of God, then turn these stones into bread, right? Makes sense. If you're the son of God, then jump off this building and the angels will come and will save you. Makes sense. What the enemy was saying to me? If you're this great spiritual leader, then how come you're getting attacked like this? If you're this great spiritual leader, then how come your son is doing so good at church right now? You know what you should do? Just give up the ministry. It's time for you to just step out of ministry. You know, not any useful for anybody anyway. He's asking me these questions, and they make sense. You know what God said to me? Your physical healing, I can handle that. Your spiritual healing, you got to choose to do something. That night I lay in bed, I hadn't eaten, and the Lord said, just like the woman who reached out and touched the hem of my garment, you need to get up and eat. The next morning as the nurse's aide came in, and you know, normally she comes in and she goes, oh, Pastor Al, or Mr. Ahu, you want to eat something? I would say, no, no, just leave it over there. This next morning after the Lord spoke to me that night, I got up, and she goes, Mr. Ahu, you want to eat? I said, yeah, bring it over here. Oh, oh, you like eat? You going to eat today? So she brought it over to my bed. I took a little bite of the pancakes, and I was so good. She goes, oh, you ate? You ate today? Oh, that's so good, so good, so good. So when my wife came in, she goes, oh, your husband, you eat today. Your husband, eat today. The next day, I ate two bites. The next day, I ate three bites. And by the end of that week, I'm calling my son, Brandon. Hey, sneak some wonton min in here, man. I'm starving. <laughs> How did I get to be where God wanted me to be? I had to do something, even if it was a little step. There's a point, though, that when, when I was in there, and I, question, I had a lot of questions for God. And I asked my wife, I said, how come I'm going through this stuff? She goes, well, you know, I don't know, and people tell me different things, and she gave me the same answer that everybody else was giving me. Well, maybe you need to experience this so you can encourage those who go through this themselves. I said, and that's not true, because if that was the case, then Pastor Wayne and Pastor Sheldon should be in the beds next to me right now. <laughs> I don't buy that at all. And one night I'm, I'm in bed and I'm just curled up and I got all these tubes coming out of me. It's at night and you know, nurses are going home and their shifts are changing and all you hear is the beep, beep, beep of the machines. And I had this conversation with God. I said, God, so why am I going through this stuff? And I distinctly heard him speaking to my heart. He said, because I want you to learn how to trust me. I said, wait a minute, God. I left the bench for ministry. I trusted you. We adopted this boy from China when we were only years old. We don't have to didn't do that. But I trusted you. We planted this new church. It's just a year ago. I trusted you. And I heard the Lord say this. He said, I want you to learn pure trust. See, in heaven, there'll be no questions. There'll be no doubts. Just pure trust. So I said to him, so Lord, are you taking me tonight? And he said, no. But I want you to learn what pure trust is, and I want you to teach others about it. 
Another night, this nurse came into my room. She said, hey, I've been looking at your chart. So uh, what'd you do? You're a pastor now. What'd you do before you became a pastor? I said, oh, I was a judge before. She goes, oh, so you're a big shot leader then. I said, no, I don't think so. She goes, you know what your problem is? <laughs> Tell me my problem. I got all these tubes coming out of my arm. <laughs> Tell me my problem. She said, you know when you wake up in the morning, you got to learn how to trust the doctor. You got to learn how to trust the nurses. And you got to trust God. Can I pray for you? I said, pray for me. She prayed. She left. And I never saw that nurse again. What was God trying to teach me? I came to the point in that experience where I had to say to the Lord God, I said, you know, Lord, I, I want to be healed. But man, at this point, whatever you want for my life, let it be so. And I was ready. That even if God was to take me that night, I would have been okay. Whatever you want for my life. You know, folks, sometimes we miss the best that God has for us because we have so, too many things on our lists that we want. Too many things on our lists that we're seeing, that we're hearing, that we're desiring, that we want. When are you going to get to the point when you trust Him, when you fully trust Him, with all your heart and you lean not on your own understanding that in all your ways you acknowledge that he is God he knows what's best another lesson in trust that I learned was just to surfing I began uh, stand up paddling and kept falling off the board friend of mine yelled at me, Pastor Owen. I said, yeah. Quit leaning. I said, what? He said, when you're going to fall, don't lean. I said, what, what am I going to do? He said, when the wave hits you, move your hips. I said, what? He said, keep your head still and move your hips. So sure enough, when the wave came from the right, I moved my hip to the left. Came from the left, I moved my hip to the right. I'm paddling. I thought, oh, this, this works. Paddling like this. And if I kept my head still, I wouldn't fall off. <laughs> Only problem is when I got to the shore, I'd walk like this to my car. <laughs> but that's the scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't move. Trust that God knows. Whatever it is you want for my life, God, I trust you. doesn't matter whether I get physically healed, whether I get that job, my family. Lord, I just want to trust you. And you will make my path straight. And I will shed the pride that I have. And I'll live up to the best that you have for my life. In Jesus' name. Father God, we thank you for today. And as this day is Independence Day, Lord, may we shed our reliance on pride, on self-centeredness, on our plans, on our desires, and we put our full trust in you. 
that pride may never keep us from the greatest potential that you have for our lives, but we have to trust you. Lord, forgive us for our waywardness, of our thinking. Lord, we look for the miracles that you have. Give us eyes to see what you're seeing and ears to hear what you want us to hear. And may we experience the miraculous and be grateful for that. For some of you this morning, maybe the miraculous is you just receiving Jesus Christ. You've heard about him. People talked about him. Maybe you've been coming for a while, but you've never yet opened your heart to Jesus. Can I encourage you today? Make it today. Where you no longer rely upon your own ways, but you want to learn more about Jesus. You want to walk with Jesus. If that's you this morning, never yet opened up your heart to Jesus no one's looking around this is just one on one time with you, with you and Jesus if you're saying in your heart Lord give me a new beginning I've tried things on my own it's not working Lord I need you would you raise a hand right now if that's you and Jesus sees your heart yeah yeah Lord sees your heart keep your hands up it's connected straight to your heart Lord, see the hands and the hearts that are lifted up to you, Father God. Speak to them in such a way that they understand, that they are forgiven, that they are cleansed from all unrighteousness. Put your hands down. How many of you would say, you know, Lord, I need to walk in your greatest potential right now. Let me shed my pride and live my life for you. If that's you, would you raise a hand right now? Yeah, yeah, a lot of us go through that. Put your hands down. Lord, you see the hands and the hearts. Father, I just pray that you bless them, that you watch over them, that you lead them to the best that you have for their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.